Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show is a special episode, like I promised you guys on the last one. This is part two of our Dissecting Vox Lux, one of 2018's most uh, polarizing films, and one that, if you listen to our last episode, you know that I loved, but my guest, Josh Bell, hated. And um, that seems to be the uh, the way that it goes with this movie. A lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it, there's not too much in the middle. Um, but after I had already recorded that one, a uh, friend of the show, Chris Cranock, he said that he wanted to come on and talk about it, and uh, I, I believe it was his favorite movie of 2018, and I don't blame him. It was definitely in my uh, my top 20, so I, actually, maybe even top 10. I forget what my listing was like, but regardless, I was very, very happy to talk about it some more, so he came over, we talked, and... We got a whole nother episode for you on Vox Lux. So if you haven't, you should watch the movie. You should also listen to our first episode because we get into a lot of the puzzle pieces. Um, but now we're going to do a whole conversation just about the movie. So let's get to it. So, you know, we just did this Vox Lux episode, which I know you loved. I did. I loved it, too. My co-host, Josh Bell, did not love it. Mm-hmm. And I think I so, had some choice words for Mr. Josh Bell, <laughs> yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to invite you here to uh, <laughs> you know, talk about it a little okay. bit. Okay. Right yeah. now he's putting lipstick on right now, just like looking at a picture, <laughs> burning my eyes out of a picture of me with a cigarette. No, I'm just, you know. Uh, no, well, thanks for having me. I'd love to, I like talking about this movie yeah. because no one saw it. Yeah. And, no, and it was did. really mixed. Yeah. And you know, who saw it, who didn't, who liked it, who didn't. So yeah, it's, I think it's worth talking about. Absolutely. I it it's a very polarizing movie on purpose i mean there's yeah. there's no question that that was the uh what brady corbett was out to do mm-hmm. um, he is a provocateur yeah in this instance anyway yeah sure absolutely and uh it, it's not an easy movie to love and i understand why a lot of people didn't like it mm-hmm. um but at the same time i loved it and you loved it too <laughs> so why don't we talk about why you loved it so much yeah well I, you know what can i actually reverse that real quick sure could you tell me why you think it's easy for people not to like Okay, good question. Because um, I, I want to know. Yeah. I like it so much, and so right. maybe more, more insight will help me answer that question. Okay, so, I mean, on the, the surface level, I mean, there's a lot of really upsetting things that happen yes. in the movie. Um, Confrontational. Yeah, they, I mean, it's really, it's really putting it right there in your face and forcing you to deal with these really horrible, violent acts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not even just the horrible, violent acts, but also the... Uh, 
the side effects of her fame mm-hmm. and uh and and everything everything awful that's happening to her all these difficult things that are happening uh to her life so i mean that's on the surface level then uh underneath you also have a movie where there are certain parts of it that are i would say not easy as far as like um if you're not into movies that are more challenging like this to follow along to some of the, oh, okay just like, like structurally yeah, yeah like i mean starting the movie with with her as a kid and then just with no real uh warning jumping into her as an adult mm-hmm. you know um having her pl- as a kid play her kid when she grows up yeah things like that are things that i think could throw off a lot of people watching yeah. it and then of course natalie portman's accent which i thought worked great yeah. but um a lot of people really hated that accent i mean they were That's- just like odd. yeah they were like out for blood they were like robin williams and goodwill hunting <laughs> yeah. say if that could yeah. pay if he can win an academy award for that yeah. i think we should ignore this yeah interesting <laughs> so okay. those are a couple of reasons i could probably think of a few more but yeah. i think those are a couple to get you started yeah anyway. i mean this thing is for me the criticism like that i've read and heard is basically like it's artsy fartsy, right, you know. Right, I don't yeah. like thinking, yeah. be, 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 be. <laughs> and you know, and not to you know, not to sound elitist or anything. It's not like this. I don't think this movie is particularly tough to crack. You mm. know what I mean? It's the thing is, you know, it's not like it. I don't think it is this particularly highbrow film. I think mm. it's actually kind of down and dirty. Yeah, you know. And the the thing that you know, so you, the, your question was why did I like it, right? Mm. That you know, and I think I thank you for kind of expanding on why you think it's an easy movie not to like, because that kind of helps me a little bit. Mm. The reason I liked it is because, one, for the very reason it might be tough for others, it's controversial, it is confrontational, it's bold, you know, it has teeth, and, uh, and, and it's different. I mean, just on the one, just on the very first level, it's different. And I see so many films... Uh, I try to see everything. And of course, you don't always succeed in that, but I try. And you just see the same thing again and again and again and again. And so the fact that it's simply different is refreshing. Uh, But then there's kind of, that's also semi-dangerous sometimes because sometimes movies try to be so different that it's annoying. (laughs) You're like, okay, now I think maybe that might be some other people's argument that like it's just weird for weird's sake. And I don't particularly agree with that either. Mm -hmm. I think it walks a really fine line because it is hyper-stylized. I mean, we have Willem Dafoe giving this kind of creepy bizarre um narration sort of wes anderson style i thought kind of it's yeah. very it's very um it's verbose the language is almost like a term paper yeah, you know yeah. i mean it's it's not an accessible language so i thought that was an interesting choice we also have scott walker on the soundtrack making a scott walker the brilliant bizarre kind of modernist uh musician who you know had this these 60s pop roots that you know mm. now made the drift i don't know if you guys ever heard, listened to the album called the drift but if you haven't you should and put the lights off and be terrified yeah. it's horrifying <laughs> the drift is horrifying yeah and so if you under if you like the drift or if you can get into the drift or if you could even you know kind of like appreciate the drift you're going to kind of see where the tone is set for the film soundtrack uh from the score standpoint so anyway so you have all these weird stylistic choices and yet the violence is dealt with in a supremely realistic way that opening sequence when the kid comes into the classroom yeah. is bone chilling oh my god yeah and I, I just watched the film a second time recently i, I purchased the film I, I i watched it i'm watching it you know and i saw it again and it is equally as terrifying 
the second time yeah. for different reasons. The first time I had, I walked in cold. I had no idea what the movie was sure, about. Yeah, so I was like really viscerally connected to the movie. It grabbed me and it didn't let me go. I mean, I was grabbed from that moment on and the rest of the film just kept me grabbed. I just felt connected to it. The second time it, with the surprise factor being gone, the disturbing factor mm. really was increased. Yeah. Uh, just, just the matter of factness of that opening sequence, how quickly it happened, how the mood shifted so suddenly. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I have to ask myself, living in America in 2019, is that if I'm going to go to Starbucks today, am I going to get fucking shot? Yeah. You know, that's a real question that I ask myself. Um, and I go to the movies, that's my church. And I always think to myself, is some guy going to walk in here and shoot up this place? And unfortunately that's, I try not to live my life that way. That's, I try to resist that. I would never stop going to the movies because of that fear, but I'd be lying to you if I said that it didn't crop up in my head almost every time I'm in there. I'm the same way. So that's the thing is like these events do affect us even when we stand on these philosophical platitudes of like, well, I'm not going to let it affect me. Yeah, I'm still going to go on planes. I'm still going to go into a movie theater. I'm still going to go to Starbucks, but I'm just a human being and the fear is real. Yeah. So those that movie didn't feel exploitative to me. I feel like some people might interpret the violent elements of this movie as being exploitative. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I think this is impo- this is something we need to see. This is something we need to confront. This is real life. Yeah. You know? And then when it comes... I know I'm kind of rambling here. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's what we're going to be doing here. I did want to just mention real sure, quick. Sure. Um, I feel like um, talking about the, those shootings, um, you know, a lot of times we wonder whether or not we're desensitized to this stuff. And I would have said yes right up until I saw that. And and then I saw it and I'm like, holy shit, I'm shook. You know what I mean? Normally, every time one of these shootings happens, I'm just like, another shooting. You know, that's America now, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I I felt like I was personally like, you know, affected. Yeah, shaken. Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't stop thinking about it for days after I saw it. Well, that to me is, I mean, that's the power of art. Through the lens of art, can we feel things the most in the most visceral way we can you know, that's the thing is we can watch on the news about a shooting and we can watch the footage of kids running out and think of ourselves this is america yeah but the moment that we are in the classroom and our and our and we have the suspension of disbelief we walk into a dark room like i think i've mentioned something like this before on previous podcasts with you why i love movies is because we walk into a big dark room full of strangers and we look at a screen that we know is made up. We mm-hmm. know that this was written six months earlier, a year earlier. We know these are actors. We know none of this is real. And as soon as the lights go down and the movie starts, we're transported into believing this. We can look at Leonardo DiCaprio, the most famous person in the world, and we can cry when he dies. Mm-hmm. And we know he's not dead. Yeah. That is a beautiful thing. Name one painting that connects you that viscerally to itself. It's a, You can't. Right. There is the, the movies are uniquely emotional. They are uniquely communicative, and so when you have a scene like that, when you understand the responsibility you have as a filmmaker, which is that I can make anyone believe anything I want instantaneously. That's the response. That's the responsibility I should say that people should think about more. As a filmmaker, I always think about that. I think to myself, as soon as I put something on the screen, they're going to believe it. Yeah. So I better make it good. You know, I better ha- I better respect that responsibility. And I think this movie did it. And so to kind of put a finer point on what you said, yeah, we're, we're desensitized, but only through art did we really truly feel it. Right. What we should be feeling 
watching the news, but we're not. <laughs> when we look at reality, we're not feeling it. But when we look at it through the lens of artwork or lens through filmmaking, that's when we actually experience it. So yeah. I mean that for I mean just just that emotion I had in that moment made this film valuable. Yeah. The movie went on to be something far beyond what I expected and I loved all of it. But just from those first five minutes, this yeah. movie had value. So um, in the main episode, uh, we, we talk quite a bit about the feeling of dread. Uh-huh. That, that Very it, much so, yeah. It, yeah, it's like from that opening scene, it's just cast over everything else, even when things aren't necessarily about that, mm-hmm. um, even though that certainly is one of the things I think the movie is about. But, um, but it's also about other things as well. Um, some of the puzzle pieces we mentioned uh, as far as movies that have that feeling of dread, uh, Mother... Mm-hmm. A history of violence, uh, elephant. We need to talk about Kevin and the "This Is America" music video, uh, yeah, <laughs> which were yeah. a few of them. Um, but yeah, just uh, good what, list. Yeah, wondering what you thought about that with uh, with that feeling of dread that's just cast over the whole everything, even when it's uh, even when it's funny, even when it's music, even when it's whatever. There's just that feeling, you know. Yeah, it's the thing is, I, I mean, I, I mentioned I think during the Academy Award podcast about how I feel like. As you know, I feel like uh, Corbett should have been nominated for an Academy Award because he was in total command of a directorial vision, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what that dread is. Yeah, that dread is is a vision behind everything. How yeah. you can have two girls, you know, in what was it, Sweden, or uh, yeah, I think they were they go to Sweden in, in the film, having fun and laughing and getting drunk and going to parties, and have an entire dread over that. Yeah, you know that that's a skill. I mean, that's the thing is, I don't, that's the thing is, I, I know it's easy to look at this film and think of it as overly stylistic. It, it does take stylistic risks with the narrator and the this and the that and the Scott Walker. But I think all those things together working in tandem supply that palpable dread. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing is, but another thing I liked about the film is that, like, so for instance, you mentioned a movie called Elephant. Yeah. And I have to revisit that film because for some reason... I had a very negative response to Elephant when I saw it mm-hmm. way back when. I saw it a long time ago. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I, I, I thought it was exploitative. I, I don't know what it was. Um, it was a long time ago. It was and, a fine line when it comes to exploitative. Yeah, it, it yeah. just, I don't know what it was. I don't know if I was in the right place to see it. I don't know if I was where a lot of people are with this film, with Vox Lux, where maybe I was with Elephant then, right. where I was just had, I just kind of had this pushback of like, well, this is not what I want to be watching. I, I really honestly don't know what it is. But I remember having such a really intense dislike for Elephant. And so I'd like to go back and, and see it again, because I don't think it has anything to do really with the merit of the movie. I think it was my emotional response to it, which put this bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. So, I mean, especially people that are interested in film, uh, people that... that want to understand the sophistication and the and the uh, and the layers of what film is capable of we should try to appreciate movies uh in, in their totality as opposed to just saying oh i dislike them or i like them you know why exactly and what value do they have as most films do have value i mean very rarely do i walk out of a movie and think that movie has no value right i right. mean i mean i thought that about bohemian rhapsody uh <laughs> i think it's valueless hey you got to hear queen songs <laughs> except for queen IMAX, songs so. except for queen songs the last 10 minutes of that movie were great yeah. but so was the actual concert yeah so so you know but so but very very i'm just being funny but very very rarely is there a movie that truly has no value they all have value so vox lux i think is um 
you know, it, it has flaws. I mean, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch. It's risky. It takes chances. It's, it is paced a little strangely. There's a lot of people talking, mm-hmm. a lot of chatting in the film. Yeah, it's not a perfect movie, but it, to me, it was so powerful and I was so gripped by it and it was so bold and different that it, uh, it, it it kind of came out as I think one of the most interesting and best films of the year. Speaking of uh, flaws in the movie, um, one of the things that to me, so I was a little confused on whether I liked it or didn't like this part is her songs specifically because mm-hmm. I didn't think they were very good. I think it was Sia that wrote them, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, um, and I think they were. I didn't think they were very good, but then at the same time, I felt like maybe that's also part of the point, point is that yeah. she's that she's you know so revered for these songs that are just just fluff, you right. know? Exactly. Um, I think I think so. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting dynamic where it's like. You know, where it's like you're kind of, uh, you, you kind of can't help yourself but play into, you know, the narrative of the film right. in that way. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's, it, you know, the movie kind of hard lefts, you know, because she, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, she writes the song as a response to this tragedy that she's a survivor of. Yeah. And, it go, and it becomes kind of this national anthem. And then she... um she becomes famous and becomes a pop singer. Now, this is a very unusual plot. I mean, it's really, but yet another thing I really liked about it, and this is kind of more on the philosophical level of why I connected to it, is that it's a very American story. Oh, yeah. And I think another reason why I was so moved by the movie is because I thought it was telling a story that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. I think some people will write the movie off as like it's making this kind of juvenile comparison between fluff pop and american mentality but that's not fluff that there's a real connective tissue i think between these things no i don't think video games make people murderers like yeah yeah i mean i think you can have a bad influence in our society i think violent video games and violent movies have an influence do i think they're the culprit do i think that we need to censor our entertainment no but that, but I do think that they go into our public consciousness when we watch movies. Like the thing is, you know, Terry Gilliam, one of my favorite filmmakers, says whenever I kill a bad guy, I try to linger on him for like five seconds so that you go, "That's a person dying," yeah. as opposed to blowing up the uh, the uh, what's the Death Star right. with tens of thousands of innocent workers and contractors on it, and we don't think of they're oh they're bad. <laughs> you know, the thing is, we watch movies endlessly of people dying being murdered slashed killed on these phony platforms of like well they're good and these are people are bad and they needed to go and we don't think about it and i do think that does eke into our mindset i think we i think we have become an ultimately less empathetic people by our entertainment being so flippant when it comes to to violence sure so i think the vox lux is telling a, a crucial story and i think it has something to do with something i'm passionate about which is this sick obsession in this country with celebrity Mm -hmm. that we obsess over celebrities that we think that they're larger than life that we think they're gods yeah and i think it's it is a sickness i don't know what it is about america in particular i mean i know there are famous people everywhere and everyone likes a famous person but just being recently in england i rode i rode i was in the tube i'll use the vernacular of the people (laughs) i was in the tube i was on the subway and there was the actress, the there is the um, Lady Stark uh, from Game of Thrones, mm. who is a fucking big deal, right? She's on the most popular show maybe ever. Yeah. And I had just seen her 
in a play. She was just on in a play that I had just seen 10 minutes earlier. And then we rode the tube, like basically home together in a similar, you know, area of town and no one bothered her. Yeah. She sat there with her nook. She read a book, whatever the fuck she was doing. And she went home. She's a person that does a job. And we appreciate it. We admire it. We like her. No one really gives a shit mm-hmm. because we got our own stuff going on. And that these, these, this is a, just a general statement because there are sycophants and people everywhere all across the world. Sure. But uni- it's a uniquely American thing where we want to you know, know what the consistency of Matt Damon's shit was that morning. Yeah. I, why? <laughs> and I think it's dangerous. And I think Vox Lux addresses that issue in a unique way that our artwork does have a responsibility that it is this hero worship this this celebrity worship that leads to a dangerous uh, a very dangerous path for everybody and also for the celebrity themselves i sure. mean as you can see in her mental breakdown backstage and i mean i felt like there was a lot of uh of a story that we've never seen before and it's okay. not not just everything we've been talking about with the the mixture of of uh of the dread and the and the everything else i mean just as a straight up pop music story we've yeah. never really seen a pop music story like this before it's not a biopic mm-hmm. but it certainly is like one of uh of any of the major you know pop singers the britney spears and the lady gagas and all them and of the uh just the way the the public just eats them up and uses them and just mm-hmm. for every last bit that they're, you know, that they have to give. Right. And it's really, uh, it, it's really such a, uh, like a tragedy, you know? Yeah. We think we know them. Right. Yeah. You know, we think that's the thing is that's why I think it's actually really crucial and not opportunistic that she became famous based on her song as a response to her tragedy. Yeah. That, it's, yeah. that to me, I mean, that's the thing is I think if you're thinking about it one dimensionally, if you see it as opportunistic, that it's, that's real. America would do that. Exactly. You know, that, yeah. that, that America would do that yeah. because we think that we experienced that tragedy because we relate to some aspect of that song. Every beat of this feels real. A hundred percent. It just feels so real in a way that is, uh, it, it's sad, it's sickening, Yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it, uh, but it's just like, it's, it's just really cool to see it actually portrayed in such a real way. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing is like, it, it, it's not an obvious movie. No. It's a thing no. is this, the, why I like it also is that I feel like there's like a deep mechanical, understanding of these problems this must be something that corbett was bothered by mm-hmm. this must be something he's passionate about in order to write a story of, that that illustrates these themes this must be something he's seeing and going i don't know how i feel about this and i want to explore this that make to me that makes him a sensitive character a sensitive person that that could be uh, attentive to this type of problem and then have be passionate enough to incorporate make it into a story what's interesting about vox lux is it's almost like the dark twin sibling of like a star is born right yeah the other great movie of the year we actually did talk about that on the episode i complete no i completely agree it's like it's such a like a counter programming to a star is born it's like taking that and like looking at the dark side of that yeah yeah it's true it's true and you know yeah i know i just i know it's challenging i know it's tough i know it's controversial i know that it it is not strictly um 
objective. And that's the thing is I, don't, I yeah, but this is a movie that I think should be seen, should be talked about. I, I'm a little confused by. I mean, the thing is, I get it. I, I know it's a tough movie, so not everyone's going to love it. It's not a popcorn flick. So I mean, sure. I, I get it on that level. But for people that, to think that it's a waste of time or without merit, that is puzzling to me. Well, I think I think some people also maybe uh, when connecting a pop music story um, with Natalie Portman, a mm. major star, right. maybe thought they were going to get a more straightforward like oh, yeah. facsimile of the Britney Spears story or something like that. Right, you right, know right. what I mean? Yeah. And not get something that was actually, you know, had a lot more to say mm-hmm. than just a straightforward story. I think, honestly, this may be a bold thing to say, but, you know, we're talking about being bold, so sure. why not, right? I think it might also make people uncomfortable because it's holding a mirror to their own weird obsession with these people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it might, it might be a too close for comfort that like we are, it's basically a thoughts and prayers movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, it's like how it's really, I think it's a, you know, for it's basically the audience is a character that we don't see in the movie mm-hmm. us, yeah. you know, the people that will write thoughts and prayers on Facebook when every time there's a shooting and go back to the escapism of pop. I mean, that's the thing is she says the the one character, the main character when she's still a young girl says, I don't want people to think too much. She says that they ask, yeah. like, you know, I like pop music because I don't want people to think too much because she herself is trying to escape the torment of her incident. Yeah. So she's escaping into pop, which is essentially escapism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the thing is like, you know, I don't hold anything against Michael Bay for making fucking turtle fighting movies and robot movies and shit. If you have, if you don't care about film and you want to take your kids on a Friday night to go see robots fight and escape for a while. Cause you hate your fucking job. <laughs> Fine, like that's fine with me. I don't, I don't think those, I don't think those movies shouldn't exist. Sure. I don't particularly have any interest in making them, mm-hmm. but they should exist. Yeah. There, there is a place within film for escapism, yeah. and there's also a place for Hobbs and Shaw this summer. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Rampage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I loved when George busted the fuck out of a Dave and Buster's. <laughs> I liked that shit. Okay. Absolutely. I was having a hard day. I wanted to see The Rock do stuff. Yeah. I love The Rock. He's huge. I anyway. See, I want to see The Rock do stuff. Anything. <laughs> anything. Make an omelet. Take a nap. Whatever. I'm in. You can seriously do like rock napping. I'd yeah. go buy a ticket. Anyway, so, you know, I understand escapism. That's the thing is like this. I don't think a movie like this, like, I feel like, I feel like people bring something to this movie or movie like movies like this mm-hmm. that it doesn't intrinsically have. I think people are ready not to like it because they think it's artsy fartsy and they mm-hmm. think that it's ar- it's putting them directly at odds with it immediately. The fact that it's challenging is not a bar being set for them and being they're not being encouraged to reach that bar. They're being condescended. They're saying, oh, this movie is above you and so therefore mm-hmm. it's not for everybody and you're within that group. It's not for everybody. I mean, that's the thing. But I think... In large part, that has to do with the audience. Right. I think the audience brings that negativity to the film. If you just experience it with the same open-mindedness that I'm going to experience Captain, Mar- Captain Marvel with, mm-hmm. the thing is, I'm not expecting my mind to be blown with Captain Marvel, but it is what it is, and I want to appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. So I'm going to go in there as open-minded and open-hearted as possible. And just because one movie is more challenging than the other doesn't mean that my approach changes. I walk into Vox Lux equally as open-minded, e- equally as open-hearted, and I try to do my best to accept the film on its terms. And of course, I still exercise taste, 
Sometimes I don't like movies. Sure. You know, that's fine. But I think you'll like a lot more if you keep an open mind and and kind of submit to a film. If you submit to art, uh, usually you'll get more out of it. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've talked about, uh, what's her name? Raffi Cassidy. We talked about mm-hmm. Natalie Portman. We talked about the story. We have not talked about Jude Law. Yet. Let's talk about Jude Law for a minute. And Shall we? Uh, we'll wrap it up after that. But uh, Jude Law, I think uh, we, we talked about it on the Oscars episode. You, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think of it. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have written it down too. But you did think of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. He blew me away in this movie. He's so good. Um, Incredible. Yeah. So good. He, he's he, He's... He sh- like I, I want to say he's so real as that manager, but then also so Hollywood like such a like a like a role. You yeah. know what I mean? Such a meaty role at the same time as being such a a naturalistic role too. Yeah. Like oh my god, it's so good. I know, I know. I I almost kind of feel bad for Natalie Bortman because she was <laughs> acting her ass off. Yeah. And Jude, I couldn't take my eyes off Jude Law. I know. Uh, he was mesmerizing yeah as that character it was a it was a real performance it was a real vision from an actor yeah i feel like he created that character from the inside out and i feel like he was so what it was is he was so plausible mm-hmm. like there i mean if i if i had to be negative about the you know the film or if i had to be negative about natalie portman there are times where i was reminded that it was Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, look at Natalie Portman doing such a good job up there. You right. know what I mean? And, that, and, and in a way, that's showing that she wasn't doing a, a good enough job. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that's a very hyper criticism. It, but it reminds me of like Brian Cranston as Walter White versus, um, versus uh, say James Gandolfini as Anthony Soprano, as mm-hmm. Tony Soprano. When I watched Breaking Bad, I would be like, oh, wow, look at, uh, look at Brian Cranston. God, he's good. Right. <laughs> but when I'd watch The Sopranos, I'd be like, hey, there's Tony Soprano walking right. down to get his newspaper. Here's a person. That's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, I felt Brian Cranston acting. Mm-hmm. I, I experienced Tony Soprano right. as a human being. His bathrobe is in the Smithsonian. Okay, seriously. So there you go. So when I think about, you know, I think about Natalie Portman, I think she did a great job. I was, I think she did what was necessary. I think she had a great performance. But when I looked at Jude Law, I saw that character. Yeah. He was alive. He was, he was bubbling under the surface every moment. His eyes, his, his voice. He's so complicated. Yeah. Like, you know, in a, in a very just real way. I mean, he's not bad. He's not good. He's not, he's just, he's just a real person yeah. like a real a thing that you've heard of but never quite seen like portrayed in any way yeah you know? it must be because these the thing is you what i what i like about the performance as well is that you know it's modeled after a handful of people they know yeah absolutely. they've experienced that guy yeah their whole careers for all the everyone involved yeah and jude law tapped into it and brought us a nuanced performance that uh that, yeah, it was more effective because it was so complicated. Right. As opposed to like making this big brush stroke of like the evil manager or the very altruistic manager. Mm-hmm. Like he, he just was complicated and therefore was even more potent. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I want to go with him as Halloween, for Halloween. I want to just put my hands in my jacket pocket <laughs> yeah. and be like, where are you going? Okay? You want to fuck for a little bit? She's like, you could fuck me for a while. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. So funny. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm going to like kind of comb my hair weird if there's any left. Yeah. I'm going to report a jacket. I'm going to wear a tan jacket and stick my hands in the pockets. And I'm just going to walk around and be like, you should be excited. And I'm just giving people like really hard nuggets of truth. Yeah. 
She's 14 years old, okay? You should damn well get your hopes up. <laughs> oh, man. So good. Um, all right. Well, uh, you know what? Any other thoughts about Vox Loss before we wrap this thing up? Uh, well, I just want to apologize for pontificating, mainly. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, but... No, no, you should, and that's the thing is, it's it's a it's a complicated movie, but it's different, yeah. and at the very least, that's what we need now more than ever is something different, oh, something yeah. with a vision. It is complicated. It isn't perfect. It's ambitious. That's the thing is, I I think there's I, I think I've said something like this before. There's a there's a there's a really small place in between ambitious and pretentious. Mm. You know, yeah. um, when something doesn't work, it's called pretentious when something works it's called ambitious and we in 2001 a space odyssey you can make a case that that's pretentious because they're trying to go beyond the grasp of normal cinema Mm -hmm. they're trying to go somewhere and do something it's not i don't mind something being pretentious i mind something being insincere and i don't think those are not those are different things vox lux is ambitious it is a little pretentious but it's sincere. Right. It's saying something passionate. It, it's going for something. We should respect that. We should demand more of that in our cinema. That's not something we should criticize. That's something we should celebrate, that these movies have a goal, have a point, have a big voice, want to take risks. That's what we need in movies. And so, yeah, it's not perfect. It's sometimes it's not, you know, it, you know, it's not the, you know, perfect movie that, you know, has every little thing. It's not going to win Academy Awards. It's not going to make the most money. But it's great, yeah. and we and we should see it. And you're going to think about it for a long time after you see it, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sticks with you. Which the thing is, like, even if you hated it, if you find yourself thinking about it, maybe you need to reevaluate yeah. that you hated it. Yeah, that's something that's interesting, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right on, man. Uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, got anything you want to recommend, and then uh, plug your uh, website or whatever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> So recommend. Um, still playing right now. Uh, uh, go ahead and get Captain Marvel out of the way. <laughs> no. Well, Jude Law is in it, and he's great in it. That's so. what I'm saying, man. Hopefully, he just is in his space suit. He has both his hands in his pockets. Okay, I got to tell you this right now. I was watching. Uh, I was watching Captain Marvel, and I couldn't stop thinking. That's a perfect person. <laughs> That's a perfect person right there on the screen. I hope he looks at Captain Marvel and is like, you should get your hopes up, okay? <laughs> uh, no, so um, The Kid uh, with Ethan Hawke, which is a Vincent D'Onofrio movie. Um, my boy Vince, I think you should definitely check that movie. I movie up. see that. Billy the Kid, yeah. uh, interesting. I, I love Ethan Hawke. He's another oh, yeah. guy I would watch just like stir tea. Yeah. Um, he's a phenomenal actor. And we always really underappreciate him. His first reformed performance was so overlooked and so underappreciated. So, good. so you know, yeah. So yeah, the kid, um, and I have not seen Greta yet, but I've heard it's kind of wild and over the top. So maybe check that out. See if that's anything, you know, to, to look at to dust is still lingering in theaters for a while. Um, everybody knows is a phenomenal foreign language film right now, but the great Iranian director of a, a separate place. So, um, you should definitely check it out. See see that stuff. And for me, I'm still working on my film Madame X with the wonderful support of the Kubrick family and Douglas Milsom, the excellent cinematographer of Full Metal Jacket. So I'm going back to the UK soon to continue work on that. I'm working extremely hard on a show called The Idiot with my dear friend and writing partner Dylan Gallagher, which is going to be hopefully a TV series coming to a streaming service near you. And there should be some more content of my web series, It's All Downhill From Here, coming out between now and the end of time. So we will see. Beautiful. All right, all man. Uh, hoping to have you back again soon. Thanks, man. 
welcome to the world's first podcast. Well, the first one they've done. Gas Money Pictures presents Filmmakers On, a podcast for filmmakers by filmmakers about the ever-changing media landscape. Each Thursday, hosts Jay Horton and Sean Alden-Reed speak to a media insider about their journey through the industry and how to survive without going crazy. Segments like What Are You Watching, Media Roundup, and It's Your Turn give Jay and Sean the opportunity to do their favorite thing discuss what's going on in movies, TV, and media, and mainly disagree. Filmmakers On is available on your favorite podcasting app or at www.filmmakerson.com. And check them out on social media, at Filmmakers On. All right, well, that does it for today's special episode of Piecing It Together, our second episode on Vox Lux, and it concludes Vox Lux week on the show. I don't know that's really a thing, but you know. Uh, but I love this movie, and I'm so glad we got to talk about it so much, because uh, it's a movie that needs to be seen and needs to be talked about. We will be back with another regular episode next week. And as you may have noticed from the fact that the first Vox Lux episode went up on a Monday and this one went up on a Friday, our release schedule is going to get weird. Um, We actually just scheduled out the next 22 episodes of the show. Um, I actually did a post in our Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. Uh, where uh, we like to talk about movies, and you should join and talk about movies with us. But I did a post in there asking if anybody was interested in getting on the show for the first time or coming back on for some of our uh, returning co-hosts. And a whole bunch of people got in touch, and we started matching people with upcoming movies. And yeah, we got a lot of movies uh, coming up in the next few months. And so we're not going to be just on our regular every Friday schedule anymore, at least not for the time being. Uh, As much as possible, we're just going to be recording and putting these episodes out. We still have a couple in the can too that need to get put up. Um, We'll get to those when we get to them. But yeah, uh, expect episodes mostly on Mondays and Fridays, but we are going to probably have a solid two a week for at least the next few months and then maybe we'll get back to the one a week because I mean that's what the show is supposed to be I did not set out to make a show where I'm putting up two episodes a week that's a lot of work but hey if you guys are enjoying it you can rate and review us on iTunes and let us know that you're enjoying it and then we maybe we will keep doing two a week I mean hey if you're liking it I like doing it so uh yeah that does it for today uh like i just said rate and review us on itunes subscribe on your podcast app of choice join our facebook group follow us on social media at piecing pod and uh sign up for the mailing list over on piecingpod.com that about does it uh let's leave you guys with a piece of music you know, on the last one, on the full Vox Lux episode, I wanted to play a piece of dancey music, something poppy to go along with the episode, and I was just looking for another track like that, and I just came across this unreleased song that I completely forgot about called Crystal Moon that uh, I made back before my very first album, Echoes in the Dark, came out. I don't even know why this didn't end up on the album, because it's... Uh pretty sweet track i mean i guess i just never considered it finished um i should see if i could finish it or something but regardless i'm gonna play it in its current state right now so this is an unreleased song of mine called crystal moon enjoy it and like i said we'll be back with more piecing it together next week
and all points west. Thank you.